one. And uh, I want to just look with you this morning at the goat, the greatest of all time. And in, in this message, I preached this uh, back in July in Chicago, and it's going to be a little different than what I did in Chicago, but not a lot, but a little. And, and, and I, I'm doing it because of the, the things that we were talking about over the last weeks about the Gospels and us and about the Lord Jesus Christ and the presentation in the Gospels and then last week in Paul and that another viewpoint. But in Colossians chapter number 1, uh, there's, a, there's a section here that begins to really talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, verse, we'll start in verse 9 and just, and just read here. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Isn't that an interesting thing, that how, what Paul prayed for? This is the fifth of five specific prayers that Paul's laid out in the advanced realm of the advanced doctrine of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Two in Ephesians, two in Philippians. And then this one in Colossians kind of sums all of them up. And he says, I'm not praying for you to have health, wealth, and an easy life. He goes, I'm not praying for you to have things easy or hard. I pray that the knowledge of his will fill you up, that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, gold, silver, and precious stones. There they are. Paul says, I want that to fill you up. I want that to be the motivating. I want that to be what drives you. Why? Verse 10, that, the purpose, the intent that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, think about that. There's a purpose for being filled with all the wisdom and all the understanding and all. There's a pur- that ye might walk worthy, see, un- uh, worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing and being fruitful, verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, Unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Boy, wouldn't that isn't that great to have in life? A little patience, long suffering, joyfulness. How about verse twelve? Giving thanks unto the Father. See, having a thankful heart, not always grudgingly and err, but looking at it going, hey, life happens and let's get on with it and let's deal with it. It's okay. Romans eight has already taught us that life is not the enemy. Life is the, the stage in which we go live out the, the character and the, of, of deity and who we are in Christ. And Paul says, hey, I'm praying that you would have all this, that you can walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good, strengthened with all might, giving thanks unto the Lord. Now, drop down to verse 15. Who, talking about Jesus Christ, by the way, verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. He's changed your residence. He's changed your citizenship. You're his ambassador now. Yeah, you you walk around in this earth and you live in this humanity, but you're his in this humanity. You're his in your life and in your marriage and in your family and in your uh, interaction with the world. You're his. You're his ambassador. You're speaking on his behalf. Yes, he's spoken, he's got the word, but how, many of, how much of the world knows his word? Not too many, if any. So who does he need? He needs a mouthpiece, and that's you and I, the church, the body of Christ. Verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who? The Lord Jesus Christ, his son, 
the one that we have redemption through his blood, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And, for, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell." And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. You think about this. Who has the preeminence? In God the Father's mind, who is the greatest of all time? Sorry, not Michael Jordan. Not LeBron James. Not any of what people, by the way, Scottie Pippen talking about Michael Jordan made a statement. It's very fascinating. He said, Michael said, do you know who declares me to be the greatest of all time? My peers do that. I don't do that. Because what are, I'm the greatest of all time. You're the great. We have our own. He, Michael said, no, my peers do that. So when LeBron declared himself to be the GOAT, that's, that's ill-informed. Who's going to do that? The peers do that. Who's the Lord's peers? The Father and the Holy Spirit. The other two members of the... And what do they declare? He's the greatest of all time. He's the one. It's the Father that declared the Son to be, to have the preeminence, to be the one who it's all going to focus on and surround and have the ultimate position. The all things in the passage, it's the governmental structure of the universe. When God, in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. You ought to pay very close attention in that creation. He didn't just create, he created government. He created a structure. Amos 9 talks about it. Uh, all, uh, Job talks about it. Isaiah, it's all over. The structure here. Why? Because he's a God of order. By him all things consist. You know why things don't? Do you know that if this earth was a little bit closer to the sun, we'd all be fried People, French fries, fried critters. But if it was a little bit the other direction, you know what we would be? We would be frozen French fries. See, It's right where it belongs. Why? Because he created it that way. And by the way, he created it to come and dwell in it and to live in it. He didn't create this wonderful planet we live on just because he was bored. He had a purpose and an intent to it. Come over to Philippians chapter 2. I just want, by the way, before you leave Colossians 1, I want to catch something and, then, and why we're talking about the Lord as the greatest of all time. Look back up there in verse 10. Colossians 1 verse 10. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. Now, I want you to think about this because what comes up from time to time is why should I do this? Why should I be fruitful in every good work? Or where should I be fruitful? <laughs> what, why? Why in the world do we do what we do? I think I'll just take the weekend off. And yet, the Lord didn't do that. Come to Philippians chapter 2. The Lord didn't take a weekend off. 
He's the preeminent one. And, and I just, as we look through these verses and as we begin to describe him and what he's doing, I just want you to think about the why you and I should do what, we're do, what we do, should do. Okay? Is it fun to go have vacations? Sure. Is it needful? Yeah. Okay? Is it wonderful? to? Yes. But really, why am I doing what I'm doing here? Why do I come? Why am I traveling? Why do I search out the truth? Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul dealing with the, the bad behavior at Philippi, and he's dealing with adults here. He says in verse 1, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of God, on the things of others. That mindset of the Godhead. Here's how the Godhead thinks you and I are to have the same thing. And he says, I'm going to illustrate it for you. Verse 5. Here's the illustration. Guess what? Who's the illustration? The Lord Jesus Christ is. What does he say? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So let this mind reach back up to verse 3. How should we be thinking? But then also now watch two, 5 to 8. Who... Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Look at what Christ did. He's God. He's equal with God. There's seven steps here of his descension, of his moving out of heaven's glory into the ghetto of humanity. There are seven steps that he takes here. And he descends down and he comes in and here's the son, the expressed image of the Godhead. He leaves heaven's glory. He came to earth to, to come and to, to be found, to be... Uh, he, Verse 7, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Hebrews 2 says that he was made a little lower than the angels. The angels are servants. He's, he's found in fashion. I'm sorry, he took upon a form of a servant. But the angels are servants. He didn't stop there. He came down into a little lower than the angels. He came down to the lowest base form of servanthood, mankind. You and I are, we're, we're the dregs. Well, I'm not a dreg. No, you're the dregs. Humanity is the bottom. Humanity, then he says, no, he's done. Hebrews 1, he's the express image of the Godhead. And where did he go? He didn't stop in the middle. He went all the way to the bottom. He went into the lesser of the servant ranks. And he comes in and he comes, he came in, he was made a little lower than the angels. He came to accomplish the promise of God. Hold on. Look, look, look real quick. Titus 1. And I know it's not on there, but you can deal with it. Titus 1. I know you can. Just click over a little bit. Titus 1, verse 2. You've got to think about what our Savior did. Titus chapter 1, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God 
that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Think about that. Before Genesis 1-1, what did God do? He made a promise of eternal life. Now, God there, who's the God? How about the Godhead? All three members are the only people there, only persons there. Peoplehood, personhood. You and I aren't there. The angelic realm has it. It's before the world began. It's before Genesis 1-1. So back in eternity past, the Godhead got together and said, we're going to do some things here. Proverbs 3, Proverbs 8 calls it wisdom. And he's got a blueprint. The, uh, Ephesians, uh, Paul calls it glory, the plan of glory. And he goes, we're going to do something here. But humanity's going to need a redeemer. Re humanity is going to need to have a, a, a payment because they're going to be sinners, and this is what's going to happen. And the Godhead said, we're going to do that. Now come back to Philippians 2. Actually, come on over to 2 Corinthians 8. So what did, well, Philippians 2, just stop there, sorry. What did he do? He came in to accomplish the promise of, of God. They bound themselves together by promise. By the way, grace is what reigns in the Godhead. The mentality and the thinking for each other is gracious. No law, no legal. The father didn't say to the son, you're going to do this or else. Because that's legalism, that's law. The father says, guys, here's the plan, what do you think? And the son says, I'll play that role. And the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to do that role. And the father says, okay, then I'm going to do this role and let's go. And they have promised to provide the payment part of redemption, of the redemption plan that God, the Godhead was going to provide to and for the human condition called sin. And he says, I'm going to do that. That's why in verse 8 he says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Who humbled the Lord Jesus Christ? He did it himself. A choice of his own free will to say, I'm going to do this, not, not commanded by or dictated by the Spirit or the Father. He says, I'm doing this myself. What love that he had for the Godhead, other members, and then yet what love he had for you and I, 2 Corinthians 8. You see, when he came, when he left, John 17, he says, hey, Father, I want the glory that we had back <laughs> before all of this. 2 Corinthians 8, when he left human heaven's glory, he comes to earth, he's made a little lower than the angels, and he came to accomplish and to provide the payment of redemption for mankind. 2 Corinthians 8, verse number 9 Paul says, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, was he rich? Oh, yes, he was. He's equal to God. He's, he's God. He's in heaven's glory, John 17, 5. But what did he do? Yet for your sakes he became what? Poor. He left that, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And you know what the Father says? Colossians 1, because you, he did that. You know what he has? He has the preeminence. He's the greatest of all time. Come over to Luke 24. You have to think about the Lord in his totality of, of earthly ministry, of life, and what he's doing and what he has accomplished. Luke 24, verse 44. 
When he came, look, what did he do? He was rich, and yet what did he do? He became poor for who? For you. He values you. He loves you. I, I, I say it all the time to myself, and I say it when I think about it to you guys. If you can come to love the Son the way the Father loves the Son, you'll never have a bad day in your life because it won't be about you. It'll be about him and what he's done. Luke 24, 44. And he said unto them, he's talking to the, to the, to the apostles here. These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. When he walked the earth, he's fulfilling all that the scripture said he was going to fulfill. He's fulfilling all of the work product of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit, by holy men, moved and wrote the word. By the mouth of David, the Holy Spirit speaks. By the mouth of Mo, the Holy Spirit. And he, said, he goes, I took all of that testimony about me as Messiah, me as Savior, and me as Redeemer, me as Deliverer, and Avenger, and Blesser, and King. All of the, what the prophets talked about, me being the Messiah. And he says, you know what? I accomplished it. Every one of it. Every bit of it. I did what was required of me. And the Father says, that's why he has preeminence. Luke chapter 3. Get Luke 3 and get Matthew 3. Luke 3, Matthew 3. Luke 3, Matthew 3. Matthew 3, Luke 3. Luke 3, Matthew 3. Matthew, Luke 3. Luke 3, verse number 22. And then we'll go to Matthew 3. Luke 3, 22. Here is the, the, the baptism of, our, of, our, of, of the Lord. He says in verse 22, And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son in thee. I am well pleased. When the Father says that, who is he talking to? He's talking to the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's talking to the Lord Jesus Christ as Luke depicts him as man, human. He says to the Son, Thou, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He says that to, to the Lord in the moment, and, and a confirmation from the Father to the Son that you're it. He's in his humanity. Matthew 3. John the Baptist is here, verse 16 and 17. Matthew 3, 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened upon unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, who's he talking to there? Same event, but here Matthew depicts the Lord as king. So who's the audience here? The nation. Back up in verse 7 there, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come. The, this whole audience of the nation. And the father, not only does he say to the son, you're my Beloved son in whom I am well. He looks to the nation and says, this is my beloved son. Here's the king. He's the one. He is the preeminent one. He's the goat. 
He's the greatest of all time. Come over to Acts chapter 1. You see, folks, in the earthly ministry, as the Lord does things and as He moves through the gospel accounts, you know what this Father's doing? Yep, He's the one. He's the one. He's, he's the one. He's answering every tick. He's answering every. By the way, Christ never said, I am the goat. Who said He was the goat? The Father did. Twice. Actually, all four times. <laughs> all four Gospels. Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 9. Start in verse 9. Acts 1, verse 9. Because now we're in the Acts period. All right? Verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, the angels, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He then ascends up. What has he done? He's fulfilled all the scriptures. He's the well-beloved son. He's, now he's going to ascend up, and what's he going to do? He's going to receive the promised kingdom, the nobleman. He goes, he gets the kingdom, and what's he going to do? What's the angel confirm here? He's returning. He's coming back. Chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 34. Chapter 2, verse 34. For David is not ascended into he to the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Sit here until it's time to do what? Come back and pour out your wrath. So as he's ascended into heaven, he sits. And then he's going to stand and he's going to come back and pour out his wrath. Chapter 7 of Acts. Chapter 7 of Acts. Chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 55. Here you've got Stephen, Acts 7, 55. But being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord, cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this charge to their, this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What had happened? They, he's going to leave. Now the time is up. Now, how does Stephen see him? In verse 55, standing. And when he sees him standing, what's happening? It's time to pour out wrath. It's time to come back and pour out the judgment. He's going to come and he's going to, it's time to make war. But what I want you, but notice, just notice something in verse 55. He looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing. He saw two things. He looks up into the glory into the heaven and he sees the armies of heaven ready to come back, the glory of God on display, ready to come back and pour out his wrath. You remember, I think it was Elisha or Elijah, one of the two, okay? And he says, Father, pull back the sun so my, my, my helper here can see that what? We're not alone in this battle. And he pulls it back and he sees all that, the, the spirit realm and all that ready to buy. 
Okay, you remember that story? I butchered it enough for you. Figure it out, okay? That's what Stephen's, and who? And Jesus, standing. Isaiah chapter 3, he says, when the Lord stands, it's to judge and to plead for Israel. It's time. He was born, fulfilled everything. He dies, he's resurrected, fulfilling everything ever said. He's ascended until it's time. Now it's time. Now it's time for him to come back and to pour out the wrath. It's time to make his enemies his footstools. By the way, verse 60, the sin there, lay not this sin. The sin there is not the sin of murder. The sin there is the sin of the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 12. The one that could never be forgiven. By the way, that gets rolled over into that little thing called the mark of the beast. Because the mark of the beast can't be forgiven either. But if you take the mark of the beast, who did you blaspheme? The Godhead. Let's just say it like that, okay? Which one you can't get forgiven? So the sin here isn't that they first one to throw a stone. The sin is what they're doing spiritually. Now, come to Acts 9, Acts chapter 9. Because what should come? What should flow? What is the next thing on the calendar? Wrath, war, judgment, destruction, purging of Israel to purge out the dross, get the rubble out of them, get the true Israel of God established. Chapter 9, something happened. On the road to Damascus with that Saul of Tarsus character. If you look down at verse 15, but the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. The him here is Ananias. Ananias doesn't want to go see Saul. There's a good reason why. He's the kill, he's our persecutor. The Lord says, Go anyway. Now watch, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings, and the children of Israel. The order is reversed. All of prophetic scripture has been Israel and then everybody else. Here now it's all reversed. Why? Because God's interrupted the program, and he's going to do some things. And right here now we begin to have not only a change in the dispensation, but now we're going to have an official declaration of the greatest of all time. Because was he the greatest of all time in Israel's program? Yes. He accomplished everything. He didn't miss an I. He didn't miss a T. He didn't miss a punctuation. He hit it all. Boom, boom, boom. Now Paul is going to stand. And he's going to say, you know what? Through this new message, this new revelation given to me, guess what? He's the greatest of all now. Come over to chapter 26 of Acts. Chapter 26. Later in Paul's life, he gives two accounts of, of, of the Acts 9 in, in, in a defense mode. The first one is in Acts 22 as he stands before Jerusalem and the religious leaders. You need Acts 26. So as he stands before the Jews, he defends his apostleship and message. But then in Acts 26, he stands before Rome, the Gentiles, and he defends his apostleship and his ministry and message. Verse 13, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And he 
verse 15, And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people, that's unbelieving Jews, and from the Gentiles unto whom, what's that next word? Now I send thee. In Acts 9, on that road, you have the conversion of Paul and the commissioning of Paul in the same event, in the same moment. Verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. So what does Paul know right then and there? Forgiveness of sins, my gospel. But then he says, and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith, which is in them, uh, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. What else did he learn in the moment? He learned eternal life. He learned not only do I get the forgiveness of sins, but I've got an inheritance out there in the heavenly places. I've got eternal life. And I've got it. Come over to Galatians 1. This, man, this is just so fascinating here. The greatest of all time. He's been announced for Israel, and now he's being announced to the world. He's being put on display. By the way, no award show here. No night at the Oscars on the red carpet. By the way, we have red carpet here, so you're always on the red carpet, okay? Bada boom, all right? So for some of you, you might want to dress up a little bit better. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I always give, anyway, Galatians 1. Galatians 1. Think about the, think about what's happening. Galatians 1, verse 16. Paul certifying his apostleship here. He says in verse 6, verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, by the way, that's Israel. That's not his physical mom. And called me by his grace, now watch, to reveal his son in me, not by me, not through me, not with me, but where? In me. That's why in 1 Timothy 1, he'll say, in me first. How is grace, how's the life of Christ working, going to work today in the age of grace? It's going to be what? In you, working outward. See? Isn't out here working on you? Well, it is till you do what? Get it in you, and then what does it do? Its design is to work out, in, out. To reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Through a progressive revelation, this glorious truth of the depths of the riches of his grace, is made known in Paul, out. It, the official attitude of the Godhead, every epistle starts with it, grace and peace. What is the official attitude? Come over to 1 Corinthians 1. The official attitude of the Godhead, of heaven, towards humanity, is grace and peace. It's not war. And judgment. It's love and mercy and long suffering and joy and grace and peace. And you know what Paul says? The ultimate display of that, Philippians 2, is the greatest of all times, is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Colossians 1, the preeminent one. It's Him and Him alone. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of who? Of Christ should be made of none effect. Isn't that wonderful? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So here's where we begin to kind of answer the questions I kind of started with you. Why in the world should I be fruitful in every good work? Why in the world? Where, where should I be fruitful in every good work? Those two questions. The why is because where are you? You're in him. You're sitting right there. Who are we to preach? We're to preach the cross of who? Christ. Look at verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's what we preach. We're preaching the wisdom of God. We're preaching the wisdom of the Godhead, God the Father, all of it. Come on to Ephesians 1. You know these verses. We've, We've trampled through them many times. Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10. The will of the Father. Notice this. Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, the Father's will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. He's going to take all of the earth, all of the nation of Israel, her ultimate goal and her destiny, and then He's going to take the church, the body of Christ, and our ultimate goal and our ultimate destiny, the heavenly places, and He's going to put it all back under the headship of the greatest of all time, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because He Philippians 2 you. What did He do? He went, he came, he left heaven's glory, he became lower than a, a, a rattlesnake's belly in a wagon rut, as they like to, used to say. Don't even know what a wagon rut is anymore, do you? <laughs> okay, just get out there, you'll figure it out. Bowen will show you, he's got the rut, you know, right? And what did he do? He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. By the way, come over to Philippians 2. Just... Notice verse 9. Philippians, Philippians, Ephesians 1, the Father's will is to what? He purposed it in himself, and that is to take his son, the greatest of all time, and to make him the center of it all. And the reason why, Philippians 2.8, he, he being found in fashion as a man, humbled himself. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now watch the Father. Wherefore God, that's the Father, also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, what the, you know what the Father says? Son, because you went and did that. You did what the plan of redemption called for. I'm going to highly exalt you. I'm pronouncing you the greatest of all time. I'm pronouncing you as Colossians 1, the preeminent one. 2 Corinthians 5. Here's why you should want to be fruitful Unto every good work. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. 
2 Corinthians 5.14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. I love that. You know what motivates you? Constrain, motivate, pick up, move you. You know what motivates you? Not me. Not the song we were talking about, music. Not that. It's his love. His love for you, but God committed his love toward you in that while you were yet sinner, enemy, no down, dirty, rotten dog, scoundrel, he died for you. Man, what a, what a humbling thought. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Why? Because we thus judge, discern, think about. Here's how we're going to, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ. Well, let me ask you something. Therefore, being justified, being the state of be who you are, where are you? You're in Christ. So if you're in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What an identity we have. You know why you should be fruitful into every good work? Because you're in him. And who are you in? You're in the greatest of all time. What a privilege we have to put on display in our lives where we're at his character, who he is, his life. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. It's on the back wall, Galatians 2.20. And the life which I now live by the faith. I, I'm living by, by, his, by faith. Ephesians chapter 1. You see, folks, I need to adjust my thinking. I need to take, say, you know what? He's the preeminent one. He's the one that God the Father exalted. I'm in him, so then what's the Father doing? He's exalting me too. He's, Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. He blessed you with how many? All of them. That means you're not going to gain any more. That doesn't mean you come to church to get a better grade. You don't read three chapters a day to get a better grade. You got the grade. By the way, A plus, okay? Or, well, for some of you, we're going to be it, okay? A little curve, yeah, okay? Why do I do them what I do? I do it because I've been blessed. I'm in Him. Chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Where am I? I'm in Him. I'm seated together with Him. I'm seated together with you, but I'm also seated together with who? With Him. By the way, verse 6 is all in past tense. It's already done in the eyes of God, in the mind of God. You and I, our reality kind of stinks right now because we're here. But one day it'll, our reality will become faith. Our faith will have sight. And there we are. Verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through who? Through Christ. 
Isn't that wonderful? Christ Jesus. You see, not only do I have my justification sealed and certified and ratified, now I got this life and walk over here. Chapter 3. Well, uh, chapter 2, look down at verse 18. Not only in Romans 5, verse 1, do I have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Now in verse 18, for through him, the Son, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now not only do I can I access the grace, get into the grace file, but now I can literally go right into the throne room of the Father and say, hey, what's up? And he'll say, glad you're here. There's your intimacy in your prayer life as you're entering into the Father's realm and talking to the Father about the details of life and how to take his word and apply it to life. Chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Where am I called? What am I called to be? I have a calling. I'm in his, I'm his ambassador. That's who I am. I have a calling. Drop down to verse 22. In that calling, what am I to do? That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man. What am I to do in my vocation? I'm to put off, put on. I'm to take that old life and and shelve it and put it over there and don't worry about it and let it just be. And I'm to come over here and I'm to find out who I am in Christ and the life of Christ and the design of the truth and the sound doctrine to work in my life as then I go into the details of life and apply that there. Now, that doesn't mean you don't enjoy an Alabama football game. Roll Tide, okay? It doesn't mean you don't enjoy the things. It's not that. You just enjoy them where? Right there. Yesterday, the ball game was on, 12.30. Do you know where I was at at 12.30? In this building cleaning it. And I was here till 2 o'clock because Linda was next door. You know what I did when I got home? Little thing on the TV called replay. Highlights only, please. And I highlighted it down through until I got caught where we were, and then I watched them the rest of the game. Alabama football game was on my mind. I knew it was playing. But I had a better thing to go do. See, I went home. I enjoyed it. After they got done talking, then they were talking about Penn State ugh, and Notre Dame. Ooh, ugh. Ohio State's become palatable, okay? Because, well, Ohio State was playing Notre Dame. So I told Linda, I said, let's watch a movie. Click. <laughs> and then I caught the highlights later, and I don't even know who. But see, that's not talking about not enjoying life. It's just now doing what? That's just secondary stuff. We're going to go hike the Grand Canyon again. I'm on board. Let's go. You know, that's okay. Verse chapter 5 of Ephesians. Verse 2, and walk in love. Isn't that interesting? We have a walk. We're going to walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. How did he love you? 50% or 100%? 100%. He gave himself for you. You see, here's the gauge now of should I be fruitful unto good work? Yeah, I should. Why? Because I'm in Christ. Where should it be? It should be in my walk. It should be in my life. 
And as I go now and live life, I got to walk in love, verse 2. Verse 8, I got to walk as children of light. Verse 15, I've got a, a wise walk, a walking circumspectly. And then in verse 18, down to, the, into, uh, chapter 6, verse 9, he goes right into your business. Now, I'm not picking and I'm not meddling. God's Word's meddling. And he says, listen, you individually, verse 18, and be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. Where the Word of God dwells in you richly, Colossians 3 says, where the Spirit and the Word of God consumes your life so that in life, as you were looking at the details and thinking, you know what, yeah, I can go enjoy that, but I got something better I need to get done over here for the Lord. Let's get done. Then I can come over here and enjoy. There's a, it, there's a thought process in that. Then he says, you know what you need to have in your life? Verse 19, you need to have a harmony. You need to have a melody in your heart to the Lord. I love that verse. Speaking to who? Yourselves. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. you got to have a harmony. you got to have a, a melody there. He's not talking about just singing hymns and that. He's talking about, by the way, songs, psalms, much more than just the book of psalms. The book of psalms isn't written to you. It's written to Israel. Israel will literally sing that book to the Lord as they're going into the kingdom. They'll sing every verse. Music, international language. Ask Taylor Swift, she'll tell you. It's the international language. Psalms and hymns, you got to have doctrinally good songs, correct songs. We don't get mansions in the pearly gates. We get heavenly places in the heavenly land. That's why we change some of that. Why? Not because we don't like them, but because they're doctrine. That gives the harmony. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all. A thankful heart, but not to me. To who? To God. Thank, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord. You know who you're? You're thankful to the Godhead. For what? How about saving your sorry rear end? Giving you eternal life. How about giving you a walk and a, and a fulfillment you can go do? We're going to start looking at some of that next time. Verse 20, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. There's that servant's heart to one another, to each other. You see, you're doing that over here with you. You have an inner harmony, an inner thankful heart, and then you're over here submitting. You're working and serving others. You're thinking about others rather than yourself. Then he says, wives, uh-oh, here he comes. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. But you know what? If you're doing, verse 19, 20, and 21, wives, if you've chosen to be in the role of a wife, submission is a second nature thing. By the way, husbands, none of these verses tell you to teach your wife what it is to submit. I'm sorry. That's religion. These verses are talking to the wife. What is her attitude going to be? Now, husbands, what's he say to you? Verse 25, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Again, how did he do it? 100%. He died, he died for it. Now, you and I will never live up to his love because we have this little thing called sin nature. But we're to reflect that. 
And husbands, if your wife is in a grumpy mood with you, then maybe you ain't loving her enough. Because wives, isn't it easier to be submissive to a guy who's loving you than to a dictator? To someone who's bossing you around, you know, you can laugh, it's okay, because you know I'm right, because I'm married, okay? And I understand that, you know? You understand, you see? But, but if, you're in, if you are living in verse 19, 20, and 21, these roles become second nature to you and don't become a struggle. When they become a struggle is when you get out of the roles in verse 18, 19, 20, and 21. By the way, what happens when you get married? Normally, normally, chapter 6, verse 1, you have children. Now we have the family. By the way, look at verse 33, since I'm on it and I'm going to get yelled at here because it's noon. Look at verse 33, the last verse of chapter 5. Here is the ultimate need within all marriages, all of them. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Men, gentlemen, your wife, husbands, your wife needs to know that she's loved. That she's the one, period. And wives, your husbands need to know that you're his hero. Or he's your hero, sorry. Yeah, you can be his hero too. That would be the loving, I guess. Okay. Why? Because every husband, every little boy wants to be what? Superman and be the hero, be the firefighter, the police, whatever. Where's he going to get that first? At home with his wife. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Children, they're the byproduct. They are the family. They are not the marriage. By the way, verse 33 ended with a period. Marriage is mom and husband and wife. Family is the kids. Not everybody can have children. That's okay. Boom. We don't have the family. We have the marriage. Your children, parents, need to see you guys love each other because the world teaches them completely different. You don't need to go anything else. You don't need to, you know, eight books on how to raise kids. You just need four verses. Fathers, provoke not your children. Father, here, here by the way, fathers does not eliminate mom because it's, it's a team sport. It's a team battle for the souls of your children takes both of you. Dad's in charge. He's the head of the house. He's going to set the rules. But, man, mom is a so second right there making sure everything's on board. Then he says in verse 5, servants, and in verse 9, masters. There's your world interaction with the world, work, and, and so forth. 2 Corinthians 13, and we'll be done. You see, folks, in the details of life, we are to live as who we are in Christ. We are to be fruitful in every good work. Why? Because we are in Christ. We're in the greatest of all times. And where are we going to be fruitful in that good work is in the details of our lives as we walk in who we are in Christ. Folks, we have the wonderful privilege to represent the culture of heaven here in the ghetto of humanity. Because for them to see Christ and to know Christ is to interact with you. 
And you ought to be living as who you are in Christ in every detail. 2 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul concludes his his writing here, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. By the way, mature, okay? Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints salute you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. He concludes that finally there with the great testimony of the Trinity, the triune Godhead. And he says, you know what, I, want, I pray for you that you'll have a little maturity, perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Be of good comfort. Life stinks sometimes. You're going to get your comfort from the Scriptures, from who you are in Christ. Be of one mind. Now we're back to Philippians 2, thinking like Christ would think. Think like the Godhead would think. But then he says, live in peace. And how often none of us have peace. That isn't peace with God. You have that, Romans 5. It isn't really the peace of God. It's you being at peace with you, forgiving yourself. This is who I am in Christ. I'm going to live right here. And then when the agitation comes, I live right here. And the God of love and the peace shall be with you. He never leaves you. Why? He's the preeminent one. He is the greatest of all time. Don't let anyone ever take him away from you, whether it's by design or craftiness or beguilement or just stupidity. Don't ever let anyone ever take him from you. You ought to know him deeper and deeper. And Apostle Paul, Philippians 1 there, after 35 years of a Christ-intoxicated life, Sidlow Baxter says in his book about the life of Paul in Philippians, and he says, I just want to know him a little better. I want to know him more and more and more, deeper and deeper. and deeper. Why? Because for to me to live is Christ. Wow. He's the greatest of all time. What a wonderful thing. And you're in him. You belong to him. And that's wonderful. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in you. We thank the Father for all that he's given to us in you and done for us because of you and done to us because of you. But ultimately, we thank you for leaving heaven's glory and dying on the cross and coming to be made a man and dying on the cross and providing the payment for all of humanity. While thank you isn't, doesn't seem to be enough, but thank you is all that you have asked us, that heart of gratitude to then go and live life for you in that manner. In your name we pray, amen.